Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Sharon, welcome to Chicago. Oh, you know I love it here. I know. The Windy City, we're back again, uh, podcasting in our long stretch of the day. That's it. It's not as long as it was a few years ago when that we were is here. True. We did that 17 hours. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you wore me out on that one. So uh, Say yeah. that one more time. You wore me out on that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have put together kind of a list of folks to talk today and they were keynote speakers, correct? They were together. keynote speakers. And so I wrangled them into coming down and uh, telling their story to our audience so it could reach a larger audience than the stage yeah, that they were on absolutely. because it's such good information. So each one of these folks is going to be talking about their CRNA journey. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to be interested in hearing that. But the, the topic was called CRNA Strong. Absolutely. That was the name of it. So great. Well, let's introduce uh, the folks with us today. Uh, we have Tim York. Welcome, Tim. We have Brett Fagin, Jennifer Bannock, and last but not least, Miss Elizabeth Thompson, and she's going to start us off and tell us a little bit about her journey. Well, I am Elizabeth Ann Thompson from Atlanta, Georgia, from Virginia originally in the country. I have two sons and two granddaughters. I have a 44-year career in nurse anesthesia, and I absolutely love it. My passion within this profession is inclusivity and the opportunity to mentor. I think we have a responsibility to bring others with us and to share what we know and the opportunity that we have with others. So I spend a lot of time talking to new CRNAs, encouraging them to actively participate in the AANA. And it's my favorite thing to do. I love doing anesthesia. So from the person who has retired 3.5 times, and I'm still doing it about four days a month, um, I think we need to make a very consistent effort to speak to the younger ones, because everybody's younger than me, and um, bring them along, encourage them, support them in all of their efforts, etc. Well, you said you've been giving anesthesia for 42? 44. 44 years. years. Now, whenever you were on the stage and you were talking, 
you said some things that were very eye-opening um, to me as I was sitting in the audience and listening. So you've seen a lot of changes over 44 years. But what, you know, to me now it seems impossible, but you talked about how you were the only person of color. And why don't you, you tell that part of the story? I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, when I was at Ohio State back in 1976, Mm -hmm. they took four classes a year, a class per quarter. And so uh, there were six of us in our class, and there wasn't very much diversity. I think there was maybe one African-American male ahead of me and a lady from India um, in one of the other classes. But in my class, there wasn't anybody else. I had a baby. And then somewhere along the line, I became pregnant with another. And You don't so know how that happened? I have no idea. Here, I'll talk to you afterwards. <laughs> it was immaculate, immaculate conception. And um, so, you know, I wasn't able to join the study groups. When I finished my lectures and clinical time, I had to go home. You got to pick up the baby. And so I met the baby and I studied together. Mm-hmm. And... But what, I, what I'm talking about is you said you would, because you're a, a bubbly person. <laughs> I mean, I've known you for I a long time. Then. Um, I I bet you still had bubbles, okay? Um, but you would say, hello, everybody, mm-hmm. and nobody would respond right. to you. Right, you go in the dressing room, and I suppose people may have been mentally preparing for their day, et cetera, et cetera. But you walk in, and where I come from is automatic to say good morning, mm-hmm. and there's nothing well just crickets Mm -hmm. and that was difficult eventually i learned to accept it but it was the way it was Mm -hmm. and but the other part of that the opposite part of that was that i had a lot of support because i worked at columbus children's hospital and a lot of the crnas were very encouraging and supportive they pushed me to go to school anyway so i knew them But at Ohio State, it was just a little bit different in the dressing room, at least. It was not intimate. And then everybody scattered to their rooms, and you never saw anyone else for the day. And you worked a lot. I worked a lot. um, Because not only are you wanting to help other CRNAs, you're wanting to help your children. So why don't you... uh, Maybe everybody out there does not know who your children are. So there was a reason why you work so much to afford them opportunities. So why don't you tell who your children are? So I have two sons. Kerwin is more of an academic, but he is also a bud. Um, a new actor. He tried when he was young before he went to college and it didn't happen. But then as he's grown into his maturity at 44 or so, he... Um, well, you know their brains don't mature yeah, as quickly. It takes a while. <laughs> um, he, he is he's doing It's always well. like this. Uh, he's been in an episode of The Shy, which is relevant to people in Chicago. And of course, across the country, I assume. And then he has a, a show on Disney, Disney Plus, called The Quest. And it's like an eight episode series with young paladins who are, it's like a game show type thing, but they're trying to figure out who done it or whatever. Okay. And then Keenan Thompson, my um, young one, 
uh, is um, the longest running cast member on Saturday Night Live. He started with Disney as well on the Mighty Ducks movies, two of them, Mighty Ducks 2 and 3, and then uh, uh, to Nickelodeon for the Kenan and Kel show and all that. So he's Where did he get a his bit. sense of humor? <laughs> well, I assume part of it's from me. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and then the smile too. I bet <laughs> he he does have a great smile. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you. That is wonderful. Congratulations on raising two wonderful young men too. It's been a big, long process, but. Again, I had a lot of help. I have a huge support team, and I must yeah. acknowledge all of my CRNA colleagues and others who helped me by trading shifts with me, um, letting me off early. I need to leave it too because Keenan has an audition, or I need to pick them up for music. Can you cover the end of my day? And they were all always very supportive. Good at that. Wow. Very supportive. Wow. That's great. Jennifer? Let me kick it over to you. All right. Uh, my name is Jennifer Bannock. I have been a CRNA for 10 years. I reside in Libertyville, Illinois, which is about 35 miles north of here. So Chicago is my hometown. I love it here. So welcome to everybody to Chicago. So I still pl- practice clinically. Um as a CRNA one day a week, um, but I am also more so the full-time coroner for Lake County. So uh, when I was speaking at uh, annual Congress the other day, I guess it was just yesterday morning, um, <laughs> <laughs> feels, feels, like, <laughs> feels like a few days have passed. I talked about um, you know this opportunity to serve in an elected position and um, what what that looked like, um, being really uh, taking that plunge, and um, you know, I for the first time I had served in other elected positions, but in a mu- you know much more smaller platform. But so that's a new world in and of itself. Uh, but then COVID hit, uh, and so running a campaign um, in a, a large county of seven hundred thousand people presented its own challenges. Um, you know, I. One of the things I love about nursing is you really have the opportunity to invent yourself every so often. And so the coroner position was really um, a chance to reinvent myself. But, you know, surprisingly, what I found along the way is, is that the things uh, that, you know, we nurture in ourselves as CRNA professionals really are key to being successful in the elected position um, that I serve in as the coroner and being, a, you know, in some type of political capacity. So um, those were the the things that I talked about. And also challenging people really, um, you know, who are CRNAs to take a look at the opportunities that might meet them along the way um, that they had never considered before. But certainly being a CRNA, we have, um, you know, a diverse resume of uh, skill sets. All right. Well, why don't you tell us some of those skill sets that have translated over to your new job outside of the corner piece. I mean, talk about your campaigning and what are those skills that you already had? Well, I think that, um, you know, when we talk to patients, we're talking to, um, you know, telling them about the anesthetic that they're we're about to deliver, right? So messaging is really important. Mm, well, when you're point. a politician, uh, when you're in an elected capa- capacity, especially for the coroner position, when nobody really knows about this, this is a very, um, you know, lesser known position. So I needed to tell people why it was really important um, as a position itself and why I was the person that should serve in that 
that capacity. So, um, you know, I was uh, transferring those skills and talking to a patient and packaging that information in something that was understandable um, and utilizing that as an elected official or somebody running for an elected office as well. Stress, I would say, is another way, another thing that we that we have in our armamentarium as a CRNA. Uh, certainly, there's lots of variables, negative campaigning, lots of campaigning, uh, managing a busy schedule, um, all of those things, you know, I used in running my campaign. Uh, you know, I would even say like when the, when the um, pandemic hit, flexibility um, and being able to adjust. But certainly I had my own understanding of how we could adjust accordingly that would be safe. So, you know, all of those things, I mean, I could, I could probably go on and on, <laughs> but I think those are three um, important skill sets. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Brent, why don't we kick it over to you? Hello, first off, thanks for having us here this morning. And uh, my name is Brett Fadgen. I reside in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I have been practicing as a nurse anesthetist uh, since 2011 when I had graduated from the University of Pittsburgh. Hail to Pitt. Had to throw that in there. Um, But my position uh, is... uh, a network CRNA. Um, UPMC in, in Western Pennsylvania has multiple hospitals. We branch in Central Pennsylvania, uh, Northwestern New York, as well as Western Maryland. Uh, my responsibility is uh, I'm one of nine that are credentialed at all the UPMC facilities within Allegheny County. They vary from academic uh, trauma transplant centers in adult and pediatric population, high risk OB, as well as several surgery centers, and community hospitals with a couple CRNA-only endoscopy centers. Brett, I'll tell you, um, you talk about Pitt. The, the coldest place I think I've ever been was at Heinz Field. I went to a game where Pitt played West Virginia. Back in April. Oh, it that game's was. coming up here in a few hours, I believe. It, yes, and that was, that was the first experience there. It was so cold right there where the rivers were coming in, and and then I'll never forget it because I saw a student get into it with a West Virginia's mother. I mean, she was an older lady and her and the student were going at it. I mean, they threw down. They were throwing punches and everything. I mean, it was, it was the craziest thing. And Because wow. one was saying, eat something pit, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh. And, and the other one was saying something about marrying your brother. And I mean, it was on. I mean, it. it Sounds like our business meeting. I was yeah. like, wow. <laughs> 
I just remember. I'll never forget that experience. (laughs) Interestingly, I I actually went. My undergrad was at Pitt too. Oh, really? We have a different, another connection through University of Pittsburgh. Ah, great university, great anesthesia program. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, being a CRNA can be challenging on a good day. So, what challenges do you face, Brett, that our listeners may not know about? I have one arm. So uh, according to our credentialing bodies, I'm the only CRNA credentialed and currently practicing with a physical disability of not having an arm, uh, a congenital amputation or a congenital anomaly believed to be from amniotic banding uh, just below my right elbow. Mm -hmm. Oh, snap. So it requires me to either not wear a prosthetic or to wear a prosthetic arm. So... When I uh, had gotten into anesthesia school, my background was uh, pre-hospital care. Uh, as a first responder on, on an ambulance, I was a paramedic. Um, I was also a firefighter. I do that. <clears throat> oh my God, you're an overachiever. Just as, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but um, <laughs> I do it as a volunteer. Uh, I w- worked as a flight nurse and a flight paramedic at different stages before I'd become a nurse. I was a flight paramedic. and. Then after several years of critical care nursing, I had transitioned to a flight nurse and concurrently ended up in an anesthesia school. So, but uh, when I was young in my, well, from six months of age, I was fitted with a prosthetic uh, to help with crawling and walking. And there were different periods of my life when I did not use a prosthesis because I felt I could do things better without it or more efficient. Hmm. Um, but as I started to get older, I started to utilize it more with daily living skills and then incorporate it with um, my career. You know, as a first responder, um, a lot of times I would take my arm off and put IVs without my arm. I would use the, my prosthesis as a fulcrum to help position the patient's arm or hand, whatever it may be. Um, or sometimes if, you know, that patient just wanted someone to hold their hand, I could hold their hand and be on the other side of the ambulance and give report to the, to the hospital. Um, I say that jokingly. So, <laughs> I, I got it. I got but, it. Uh, you the just, room got it, quiet. Yeah, was, yeah. You just, uh, that, that's one of those, you don't know whether to yeah, laugh yeah, or yeah, not. Is it, like, is that okay to laugh? <laughs> <laughs> he was smiling. So, so, but uh, throughout that whole career, there were always, there was always a, a challenge of, well, can you, or how do you, mm-hmm. and I always met that with, you know, acceptance of like, well, this is how I can do it. And I would demonstrate that. Um, and a lot of the times I did it better than other people with two hands and, and uh, not to be conf- overconfident, but in some realities with uh, structural fire rescue, I was right, just you know, saying I was able to, <laughs> no, I would never say that, but uh, I was able to do things in, in some t- times more efficient than people with, with two extremities upper extremities. Um, so that gave me the confidence that when I came to anesthesia school and be able to do all the tasks, I had some guidance from nurse anesthetists that participate in pre-hospital as well. And they felt I would be able to do everything. And if there was something that was a challenge, I would be able to figure it out. And uh, I got into school, got into pit. It was a, a good experience. It wasn't always a sunny day at the beach as <laughs> nursing anesthesia school is not a sunny day mm-hmm. at the beach <laughs> at all. Um, but I was met with some obstacles early on in the career, which I spoke about yesterday and not passing the intubation station for our mock induction before we could utilize or perform that skill in clinical. 
And I realized that, wow, I, I, I am different. And uh, my program director and I went and met with the Disability Resource Center. And at that time, um, the ADA was, there were just amendments that were released. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it involved more, uh, it, it was more robust in terms of colleges, universities, employers. So it was a good opportunity at that time for me and the school where we partnered and collaborated and developed a plan to see if I could in fact continue in the program, but it afforded me time to practice. And that's what I did. I was able to um, practice probably 10 hours to 20 hours extra a week um, on my own and sometimes with faculty guidance to ensure that I was doing things correctly uh, for different procedures or skills that I needed an accommodation. Uh, one simple one would be opening the airway. You know, I cannot do, use the scissor technique with my right hand. It's just impossible. I don't have a right hand. So an accommodation was that, was me utilizing my stub to displace the mentum inferior position. And that was acceptable. Um, and to being able to use my prosthesis to intubate, which there is a YouTube about that, um, that I do demonstrate how I perform an induction. Um, I actually have a couple other videos that I haven't released yet, but spinal anesthetics, uh, placing a spinal, placing an epidural, uh, as well, which I do pretty regularly. Wow. The population. Well, I can certainly um, have some empathy with this. I, as I sit here, I've been whining about my splint on my hand because I had a Dupuytren's release few week, a uh, few days ago, and I can't. I'm I'm ripping this splint off tomorrow morning with my teeth, and whoever's on the street below when I throw it out the window, better be careful. And I've been whining for four days, and now you just put me right in my spot. <laughs> well, well, Brent, I, you know, I also have to say that um, you know your parents were probably exceptional people that mm -hmm. pushed you along the way as well you want yeah. to talk about that for a minute because a lot of people could could have this and said oh i can't do that i can't do this and i can't do that but i mm -hmm. imagine you had either your parents or someone in your life that that pushed you a little bit yes i would say my mother was plain and simple well you just have to do it yeah you know um it wasn't warm and fuzzy and like <laughs> oh you can't do this or you can't do that she's you just right. have to do it and figure yeah. out a way and um as i was going growing up and 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 uh, going into my career, something that I adopted early is everyone had a book to look at. I didn't. And there, were, there was nobody or, or, or no article I could search or ask an opinion on, on how to do something. I just had to figure it out. Right. You know, first obstacle was how to tie my shoe when I was in kindergarten. You know, it took a little bit, but I got that little cardboard cutout of a shoe with a, you know, string on there where I, where I tied my shoe, yeah. you know. Um, but it took a little bit. It, it, right. it took some time. Yeah. And I'm assuming now, do you do stuff? Are there other folks out there that might have similar situations to yours that, you know, have been in contact with you and said, hey, I want to be a CRNA? I mean, have you? There are. There has been a few that have reached out. And I, I hope to use this pla platform and similar platforms to be able to help people understand that, you know, just because I am different, I have one arm, right. you know that there are certain procedures and certain things, whether it's in public safety, whether it being nursing, healthcare, nursing anesthesia, um, you can do anything you put your mind to, but as you pioneer across these, these hurdles, you have to be able to develop your own method to do it. And you have to practice as, 
and you have to persevere. Yeah. You know, you have to be strong mentally because there's always going to, the easy way out is just to not do it. I'll be honest with you. I, like I didn't, I haven't met you before you walked in this room and Sharon didn't tell me anything about, you know, your backgrounds and stuff. And until you said it, I didn't even notice it. So at all. And that's um, with the long yeah. sleeves and, and the suit coat. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, he didn't notice that I cut out nine inches off my hair either. <laughs> and you know what? I knew there was something different from last year. No, <laughs> oh, anyway, no but I do, I do, mm-hmm. I do think, I, yeah. I understand what Jeremy is saying. Mm-hmm. It's just that you have a persona yeah. that it doesn't make you think that you've got some, something limiting about you. No, um, it's, it's just something that you deal with. Absolutely. And so that's why it's not noticeable. I'm teasing, of course, but (laughs) I know exactly what he's talking about. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Tim, you're up. All right. So as I said before, I went to undergrad at University of Pittsburgh, got a full-ride ROTC scholarship. Um, And thank you for your service. You're sitting here in your uniform. That's right. You're looking very good. I appreciate it. So yeah, I've been active duty 17 years. I've been a CRNA seven years. Went through the Army, uh, United States Army graduate program in anesthesia and nursing. And now I'm actually a program director out at Tripler, uh, oh. phase two program director. will be taking over here shortly. So. Wow, congratulations. Awesome. Full circle. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then as far as the story I shared, um, I was originally approached to talk about the Rona device uh, that was developed while we were at the Javits Center. But I thought the bigger story was the group of 28 CRNAs. I was one of the 28. I was, I was the uh, chief of anesthesia. Uh, for 27 other CRNAs, I was a lot of admin, so I can't claim credit for all the duties down on the floor. I was down there every day, but uh, uh, those are the folks that did the ICU care um, under physician you know, supervision and direction during emergency declaration. Um, it was crazy. It was wild. It was you know, eerie being down there. It was, had this, like I said yesterday, this post-apocalyptic feel to it. Uh, mm-hmm. the, there weren't even homeless people in the streets. They were down in the subways or in hotels at the time. And we were some of the only people walking the streets. So it was wow. a very unique experience. Um, the CRNAs I was with, we all did an amazing job. Volunteered for a lot of things that a lot of others didn't volunteer for, um, uh, specifically the ICU uh, patient care. Not a lot of people wanted to do that. And in addition to that, uh, there was not one intubation that I'm aware of that was done by anybody other than a CRNA mm-hmm. while we were at the Javits Center, which is amazing. And not one of us contracted COVID the entire time we were there, which is also a small miracle, to be honest. Now, people who don't know what the Javits Center oh, yeah. is, so, why don't you give us a little bit of background about that? Yeah, so a little background. On March 19th, around that time frame, uh, we, some of us received 36 hours notice. Some of us received about five days notice. Kind of varied. Um, but around March 19th, got a call, said, hey, you're deploying to New York. 
it's, it was a very vague mission. You're going to go there and relieve New York hospitals and staff, basically. It was kind of hmm. what we were told. So we had a few days to get our stuff together, make sure all of our documentation was in order, <laughs> and pack our bags. Uh, several days later, personally, I hopped on a plane, was part of a, what we call an ADVON team. It's advanced party team. There's about 21 of us, and we planned the Javits Center from scratch. We created a hospital, basically, out of a 3.3 million square foot empty convention center. Wow. Uh, nothing like it had ever obviously been done before. There was no precedent for it. We didn't have SOPs. We didn't have mm -hmm. something that said, here you go. Here's a stepwise process to get to where you're at. When we got to the Javits Center, there was very few people. It was basically a FEMA disaster Mm -hmm. set up for like a natural disaster in the basement there was very very minimal anesthesia supplies there was some anesthesia equipment that really couldn't be used because it just just the fact that it was sitting around i think you know hadn't been used and they didn't want us to necessarily use those devices right away until they could get it checked out right. so so yeah then you know uh, local state federal government entities kind of flooded us with stuff but initially it was very bare bones and we just had enough to secure airways, basically what I call a go bag, a jump bag mm -hmm. um, to to handle those emergencies. And initially it was a non-COVID mission. We were supposed to take non-COVID patients, right. we leave the I hospitals. And of course that quickly changed. We all knew that that wasn't going to stand up and we knew that as soon as we did admit patients that someone pop positive and, mm -hmm. and then it would quickly spread. So. So yeah, quickly the mission changed to COVID positive patients. We transferred non-COVID patients to the USS Comfort, uh, mm -hmm. of which, of course, then they some of they became positive. Yeah. That was that was then a positive. They know. didn't report that on the news. Oh uh, no, it was. It was just I didn't. See it, was, <laughs> it was it was later on. Yeah, it, yeah. Like I said, the timeline. I'm kind of expediting the timeline, but but later on, you know, of course, then they had you know positive patients. So and then over time we. Basically, we're able to bring all of our, our field hospitals, what we call it, um, equipment and stuff from New Jersey, which is where it was originally staged. And obviously, there's a big political component to how everything's requested. And, and uh, so once that happened, we quickly created a hospital with our normal field hospital supplies. And, yeah. uh, and of course, we're, like I said, we were flooded with other supplies, donations, a lot of stuff. So you thought the austere environment was going to be in Afghanistan, not <laughs> in the middle of New York City. Yeah, no. And that's what you found. <laughs> absolutely. It was, it was very unique. I remember being on a call with my brother going to New York. And at the time, we can, we can kind of joke about it now. But it was scary. I thought I, I might. There's a chance I could die. Right. You know, there was that real feeling of not knowing, getting COVID. And uh, I remember telling him, "I'm like, I'm more scared about New York than I was about Iraq." Yeah. So right. yeah, it's. I was deployed in Iraq. I went to Kuwait, and then I went on a forward mission. So been you knew deployed. your enemy there. Yeah. You didn't know your enemy. <laughs> in yeah. COVID. And I knew what I was falling in on when I deployed previously. This was just yeah. a very different mission, and we really didn't know a lot until we you know, kind of hit the ground and saw what we had and, and then just adapted and ran with it. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Well, all wonderful stories about life experiences and what, where you are as CRNAs. And we want to thank you all for being here today. Yeah. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you. Wonderful story. Jennifer, thank you. Brett, thank you. Thank we'll you. We'll be seeing you again. 
Yes, ma'am. Yeah, we're going to expand on your journey because we're going to be doing a live podcast taping at the Pennsylvania State Meeting with Brett, and then we'll be able to push your full story out. Um, You know, we're downloaded in 125 countries. So, you know, maybe somebody in the United States might not need your advice, but... 125 countries leaves a lot of room for a lot of people yeah. to hear your story. Absolutely. And thank you for your service. Yeah, to thank, thank you. you. No, thank you. Support. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sharon, another great episode. I know. Good idea. Sometimes I, you do I have get them. them. I, tell you. <laughs> I sometimes, texted Jennifer Sometimes she throws things on me and she's like, oh, you'll be okay. I'm like, okay. All right, we'll roll with it. So. <laughs> but again, thank you all. And thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Well, the best way to grow is to leave us a review five stars. <laughs> and make positive. it positive. That's right. We all know there's enough negativity in this world. Absolutely. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on our way to number... Number one. We're already number one in the CRNA community. And we want to be number one overall. That's it. We appreciate all our listeners because we'd be nowhere without you. Absolutely. And it helps us bring great people like this Absolutely. in. So we all get to get meet wonderful out. people like you guys. Till next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. 
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.